book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 8, it reads, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And tonight I want to preach from the thought, when you're in the dark. When you're in the dark. If we could just lift our hands, Lord. Oh, we love you, Jesus. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that your word is alive that it is able to minister to the hearts of your people years after it was written down. And I'm thankful that you are able to look into the hearts of your people, God. And this evening, I believe you want them to know that you love them, God, that you see right where they are at. You see their hurt and their struggle, God, but you go with them and you are with them always, Jesus. I pray that your anointing would be upon me as I bring forth your word this evening, Lord. Let it find good ground in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The contrast between light and dark has been used for many years to explain opposing thoughts or ideas. Light has always been symbolic of truth, justice, and goodness. While darkness has always symbolized evil, fear, and even death. As young children, many of us have experienced the fear that comes in the darkness, wanting to sleep with a light on so we definitely know there are no monsters under the bed. And even now as adults, we are far more alert to the strange noises our fridge makes at night than during the day. There is something intrinsic that associates the dark with evil and fear. After all, nothing good happens in the dark. Darkness was not something that had to be created. It just existed because of the absence of light. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. The relationship between darkness and light is one that we often see used in scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and 9 we see, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. John chapter 1 and verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In these scriptures, the Greek word that has been translated into the word darkness refers to a specific form of darkness that is caused by a shadow. For us to be found in this kind of darkness, there must be something that stands between the source of light and us. This is the darkness that sin forced us into. Sin stood between us and the light that can be found in God. You and I were not able to conquer the darkness on our own. We were not able to remove the sin in our lives. But then the blood of Jesus was shed on a cross. And the same man who shed his blood and had been dead for three days was resurrected. No longer was the darkness that sin caused final, but the light was able to penetrate through. A call was put out to those who dwelt in the darkness to no longer be children of the darkness, but to be children of the light. And that call still rings true today. You no longer have to dwell in the darkness anymore. The light is calling. Hallelujah. The darkness of sin is a continual theme throughout scripture, particularly in the New Testament. But the darkness of sin is not the only darkness we as Christians sometimes experience in our lives. Our opening text in the book of of Micah also refers to darkness, and we'll just read it again. It says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. 
When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Unlike the darkness we previously read about, the word translated to darkness here does not refer to that which is caused by a shadow. This darkness can be a literal darkness, but it can also be referring to the figurative darkness that aligns itself with feelings such as sorrow and misery. Micah was a prophet who prophesied judgment on the people of Judah because of their wickedness and how far they had strayed from God's law. The beauty of Micah is that in the midst of his prophecy of judgment, he also delivers a prophecy of the coming Messiah, who will deliver the people of Israel and be a light in the darkness. The darkness that Judah faced was a direct consequence of Judah's disobedience. Their actions had brought judgment upon themselves, and yet God would still provide a way of salvation. Sometimes the darkness that we experience is a result of our own choices. Sometimes the darkness is something that the Lord has allowed us to go through. It is likely, if not certain, that we will all experience this darkness in some form at some point. Jesus is coming back very soon. Amen. And when he does return, there is no promise that we will all be on the mountaintop when he does. There will be those of us who find ourselves in the darkness of a valley. But regardless of where we are standing on that day, we need to be ready. We cannot sacrifice our salvation to our circumstance. This is not worth leaving behind because of the darkness of the valley. This is not worth giving up on because of a circumstance. This is not worth giving up on because of your situation. This is what's taking us home. And we need to hold on to this. No matter where we find ourselves, if it's on the mountain, if it's in the valley, if it's in between, I'm going home. Hallelujah. I believe that there are some of us here tonight who are in the midst of a difficult time who are experiencing that sorrow and that darkness right now. And if that is you, I believe that the Lord wants you to know that you are not invisible to him. He sees you. He sees you, even if those around you do not. He knows every tear that you cry. He knows every hurt that you feel. And if the darkness you are facing has thrown you and you cannot see a way out, I promise you it has not thrown God. It has not thrown God. He sees you. He knows where you are. This has not caught him by surprise. He has seen that this will happen and there is a way of escape. Hallelujah. The trial you are facing right now was not designed to destroy you. If you have fallen, you can arise. If you are sitting in darkness, then the Lord can be a light for you. And so for the next little while, I believe the Lord wants to speak to his people, those who are facing the darkness and to those who will, and about some things that we need to remember when we are in the dark, when we are in the dark. First, it's okay to be hurt in the dark. Sometimes the situations we face in life are the consequences of our own actions. Sometimes they are the consequences of someone else's. So whether by your own hand or the hands of others, the situations that we face can often be accompanied by hurt and anger. And just as physical pain alerts the body that there has been damage done, emotional pain does the same. Ignoring physical pain, hoping that it goes away, often makes the pain worse. And the same is true of emotional pain. 
Pain is a feeling that was designed to be dealt with and not to be ignored. As Christians, we often unconsciously enforce the idea that all negative emotion is bad, ungodly, and sinful. So often we choose to suppress and deny these emotions rather than express them. But just as untreated pain allows the damage to spread in the body, untreated hurt will turn into bitterness. Untreated anger will turn into hate. Humans were designed to feel emotions. Even Jesus experienced strong emotions during his time on earth. In John chapter 11 verse 35, we read how Jesus wept for his friend Lazarus that had passed away. He could have denied himself those feelings, knowing he would raise his friend back to life just a few verses later, but he allowed himself to grieve. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus experience anger at the corruption in the temple. In John chapter 18, we watch Jesus be betrayed by a man that he once considered to be part of his inner circle. Jesus knew what it was like to be hurt. And while there are some of us who have faced and are facing unimaginable grief, unimaginable anger, and unimaginable betrayal. There are also people in this building who can testify how in those dark moments of incredible pain, when it felt as if no one could ever understand, when they invited Jesus into their darkness, he was their light. When they invited Jesus into their hurt, he was their healer. When they invited Jesus into their anger, he was their counselor. Hallelujah. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Ultimately, it is our pride that denies the Lord the opportunity to step into our situation. We deny the hurt and the anger to maintain the facade of strength. But true strength is not the absence of hurt or pain. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. When we cast all of our cares upon the Lord, there is a humbling of ourselves that takes place. And if you find yourself in the dark this evening, do not sit there alone. Allow the Lord to come in and be with you there. Allow him to bear the burden that you are carrying. We believe that he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And this doesn't just apply to our physical needs, but to our emotional needs as well. He can be your comfort and your light in the darkness if you will invite him in. If we will humble ourselves, in due time he will exalt he will restore and he will heal. Please do not believe that you are able to cope with this on your own. You need Jesus to step in, to provide guidance and light in that situation. And the Lord is wanting to step in, but only if you will allow him to be there and to have his way. Allow him to be there and to obey him as we heard this morning because it is obedience that will lead you out of the darkness. That means that even though the Lord is with us, he is still with us in darkness. The trial, the consequence, the situation, they do not disappear because the Lord steps in. 
Daniel invited the Lord into his situation and the Lord was with Daniel, but Daniel was still in a lion's den. The three Hebrew boys that refused to bow to an idol, they invited the Lord into their situation and the Lord was with them, but it was still in a fiery furnace. The darkness may not vanish, but you can have light in the darkness. Hallelujah. You can have light in the darkness. He can walk you through you with it. He can take you through. Hallelujah. When you are in the dark, do not let the darkness define you. This circumstance and this situation, they may be part of your story, but they are not the reason your story was written. As we heard this morning, suffering should be normalized, but so should overcoming. You were not cold, you were not designed, you were not destined, you were not ordered or placed on this earth to live in perpetual suffering. That is not why God put you here. He did not put you here to punish you. He did not put you here for you to constantly be suffering and going through hard times to live in perpetual darkness. These moments that we go through, they are just that. They are moments. You were not called to never fall, but you were called to that when you fall, you arise. The enemy rejoices when he sees people wandering in darkness, when they begin to live as if the pain they feel right now will be all they ever know. The enemy rejoices when we allow our circumstances to have the same shadow effect that sin once had on our lives. But we were not called to live in darkness. We were called into his marvelous light. We were called to be part of a chosen generation. We were called to be part of a peculiar people and a holy nation and a royal priesthood. We were called to be the Levites of the New Testament church. Hallelujah. In the book of Ezra, we find the nation of Judah in Babylonian captivity. However, Cyrus, the king of Persia, has recently declared that the people of Judah will be allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The people of Judah have been in captivity for many years by now. And for many young people, they would have not known any other life. Before they begin to build the temple, they first restore worship as the Lord had instructed according to the law. And this includes the construction of the altar. In Ezra chapter 3 in verse 8, they are preparing to lay the foundation of the temple. It says, Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites. And all that and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. And if we jump to verse 11, it says, And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Verse 12 says, But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. The Levites were a people set apart for the work of the house of the Lord. 
The Lord set them apart many years ago when he established his law. And if you take the time to read and investigate the different priests that appear in the Old Testament, you will see that there were some that served faithfully to their calling and that there were others who abused it and despised it. Despite the years of exile, the people of Judah had faced as a consequence of their disobedience. Despite the years of exile where the Levites had not been able to serve, when it came time to restore the worship of the Lord, the calling on the lives of the Levites was still there. Yes, amongst the men performing their duties, there were older Levites who had watched as the wickedness of their nation had led to the downfall of their home and the temple. But they were still cold. Yes, there were young men there that day that had never seen the temple of the Lord. Young men that had never set foot on the land that God had promised their ancestors. But they were still cold. Exile did not disqualify them. The sins and disobedience of their family did not disqualify them. And you may be facing a situation that is the consequence of your own actions. Maybe it's the consequence of others, but you are still cold. No matter what the source of the darkness that you find yourself in, you are still cold. The purpose that God has for your life is still valid. The calling still remains. The promises that God gave you before, they are still true. They will still come to pass because God is faithful. Do not allow this darkness to be the thing that defines you. When the God who formed you in your mother's womb has already defined you. He has already called you. This situation, this circumstance, they do not define you. We serve a God of redemption. It doesn't matter how far you strayed. The calling's still there. The calling on your life is still there. We serve a God who is faithful to complete his work in your life if you will allow him, if you will invite him into the darkness. Ezra chapter 3 is the restoration of worship. It is the invitation for God to reside in the praise of his people once again. But the story doesn't end in Ezra chapter 3. In Ezra chapter 4, the adversaries of Judah appear and begin to frustrate the men who were working on the temple. And this lasts for many years. These adversaries even write letters to the new king to halt the rebuilding of the temple. It is also during this period of history that we find the story of Esther. So not only are the Jews facing opposition in rebuilding their temple and returning to their home, but they are also threatened with genocide of their people by a wicked man named Haman. Ultimately, Haman's plan is thwarted by a young Jewish woman named Esther. Esther had been raised in exile, but it was not exile that defined Esther. What defines Esther is her choice to invite the Lord into an impossible situation and her choice to step out in faith. Hallelujah, the calling of God still remains in the dark. And if you will allow the Lord to use it, the darkness can have purpose. The darkness can have purpose. The Lord is able to use the suffering that we experience and the difficulties that we go through for a greater purpose. We sing it often. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. And I am thankful that, yes, God is able to take the work of the enemy and turn it for good. 
But I am also thankful that God is able to take the situations caused by our own actions, caused by our own disobedience and our own sin and still turn it for good. That he is able to intervene even when we are facing the consequences of our own mistakes. And he is able to take that situation and produce a result that glorifies him and glorifies his power. And is a testimony of his faithfulness and is a testimony of his grace. Trust God that whatever darkness you are in the midst of, if you will allow him, he is able to do a work. He is able to complete a work in your life. He is able to use these situations to refine your character and to develop the fruit of the Spirit in your life. We read Galatians 5 when we read about the fruit of the Spirit. It says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. It is a bit of a preaching cliche, but often we are warned not to pray for the Lord to increase our patience or to increase our long-suffering because he will put us in situations that grow those fruit. And as a young person growing up in church, I always made a mental note, do not pray that prayer. doesn't matter. The Lord still puts you in situations. But I believe regardless of if we pray, he will still put those situations in our lives because he still wants to see those fruit evident in our lives. And I was speaking to someone recently about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is an emotion and a fleeting emotion at that. It does not take much for our happiness to vanish. You have a great day in church on Sunday and then Monday comes and you get stuck behind someone in traffic who is going under the speed limit and your happiness is gone. But joy is different. Yes, there is an emotional part of joy, but there is also an action part of joy. We may know it better as the word rejoice, which means a demonstration of joy. And just as the Lord will put us in situations to cultivate patience and long-suffering, he will also put us in situations that are designed to cultivate joy. And if you are wondering why you are continuing facing struggles, then perhaps the Lord is trying to cultivate some joy in your life. Because joy is cultivated in times, places, and seasons where it is not the natural response. Joy is cultivated when we sit in darkness and are still able to say, God is good. God is still faithful. God is still worthy of praise. I will trust in the God of my salvation. His joy shall be my strength. Hallelujah. Joy is being able to raise your hands and declare the goodness of God. When everything in your life has gone to pieces, you can still say God is good. I'm still saved. I still have salvation. My hope is in God. I'm going home. This life is temporary. There is something greater than me. Regardless of what I see, even if I don't see the hand of God right now, I know he's working. I know his grace is available to me. I know that he is faithful. I know that his goodness is available to me. Hallelujah. This is the purpose of darkness. Romans chapter 8 verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. There are about six different words for darkness. Verse 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. There is no darkness that can separate you from the love of God. And if we can understand that, even in the dark, that the love of God is still available, even if we do not feel it, that the goodness of God is still true, despite the fact that I don't see it, that God is still faithful, even though I have not been, then despite the darkness, I still have salvation. If we can remind ourselves of these things when we are in the dark, then joy grows. That's when joy grows. Hallelujah. That's when we begin to understand what it means to rejoice. And when we begin to understand that God's love is still there in our darkness, that's when we will be able to conquer the darkness. And even more than just conquer, we will be victorious. When you are in the dark, you need to remind yourself that God is still God. God is still God. The same God that you freely rejoiced when you stood on the mountaintop is the same God that stands with you in the valley. The faith that we had in God on the mountaintop needs to be the same faith that we have in God in the valley because God has not changed. His promises have not changed. He will still never leave you or forsake you. His mercies are still new every morning. The darkness does not change God. We cannot allow our environment to dictate our faith in God. If we can only have faith and trust in God when we are not facing difficult times, then what we have is not faith. When you are in the dark, God is still God. And if God is truly the reason that you live, then that is true whether you are living in the light of the mountain or in the darkness of the valley. And as we heard this morning, if God does not change, then God still requires our obedience in the dark. The darkness you feel is not an excuse to get out of doing the things that we know to do. The darkness is not a reason to stop worship. The darkness is not a reason to forsake the house of the Lord. The darkness is not a reason to stop living the way that he has asked you. The darkness is not a reason to go back to altars and pick up things that you laid down. When you are in the dark, it is okay to be hurt. When you are in the dark, you are not defined by the dark. When you are in the dark, there is a purpose for the dark. And ultimately, when you are in the dark, God is still God. Hallelujah. If I could have a musician, please. And if we could all stand. Tonight, we are all in different stages of our walk with God. Some of us are in the light of the mountaintop, and others are in the darkness of the valley. Only God knows where all of us are at. And I know that there have been a few different points made tonight, 
But in order for any of them to have effect in our lives, God has to be invited into our situation. The healing of hurt, the acceptance of a calling, the purpose, none of these things happen passively. God has to be invited into our situation. And I have no idea what that looks like for you. I do not know what darkness you are facing. But I know what darkness I have faced. And I know what it was like to try and get through it on my own. How it just seemed to get darker and darker. Until finally I found myself at an altar. And I asked God to step into my situation. And it was only then that the hurt I had felt could begin to be healed. It was only then that I could hold on to the calling that God had given me and not be consumed by the darkness. It was only then that I could understand what true joy looks like. And it was only then that the Lord could be my light in the darkness. Hallelujah. Why don't we just lift our hands in this place? Lord, you see your people who have gathered in your house this evening. You see every one of them, Lord. Even the things they have hidden, God. The tears they have cried in private. The hurt that they have hidden. You see it all, God. You see the hurt they have faced. And I'm asking, Lord, that if we will allow it, that you would do some healing work this evening. That you would step into some situations, Lord. That you would be the light in some of our darkness, God. That you would help us to hold on to the callings that you have given us. To know that this darkness does not define us, God, but you define us. That your work in our lives is yet to be completed. Oh, Lord, I'm asking that you would show the purpose of what these people are going through, Lord. Help them to understand that this is not for nothing. But that this is to cultivate some things in their life, Lord. This is to cultivate some things, Lord. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would help us to know that you are God. That you are God regardless of our situation. Regardless of our circumstance. That you are still worthy. That you still love us. That your love is still available in the darkness. Harababasi and